These lads are mental, recognises the Gadigal people of the Aurora Nation as the custodians and traditional owners of Sydney. We pay respect to their ancestors and elders, past and present, and value their continuing connection to lands, living culture, and integral contribution to the bright and inclusive future of this beautiful city that we call home. Welcome to These Lads Are Mental. My name is Gary. And I'm Neil. And our podcast is a lighthearted approach to normalise mental health. But before we start today's show, please listen to our disclaimer. This show is just a group of opinions and is not to be treated as medical advice. If you are struggling with mental health, please speak to your physician or reach out to a service such as Lifeline. Thank you. I got a new computer chair yesterday. It's got a wee recliner on it, mate. So I'm just like leaning all the way back here. The microphone reaches back, just chilling. <laughs> well, I'm in it. I'm in a vintage, uh, like, wooden woven chair, so it creaks every time I move, so I try not to move that's, my Mate, that's your hips. <laughs> <laughs> Get me some WD-40, please. Uh, I'm, like, shocking. Like, talking about the worst organized podcast. My microphone is in storage still since I trip, so I haven't got it back, so I'm just in BL AirPods. So, But they're brand new, thanks to Apple. I got my AirPods and my phone fully replaced within warranty. This podcast is sponsored by Apple, this one. Yeah. And I've got a new laptop as well. So it feels kind of like a new season we're in, Gary. Like new laptop, yeah. new gear, fresh haircuts. Well, it's, actually, it's actually halfway through, oh, a quarter way through the second season, mate. You just decided to leave the country for six months. <laughs> well, yeah, no, it's good to be back. Yeah, it feels kind of like a, a second start to season two. And uh, we already have a, a couple of episodes that have gone out this year. And we've got a few already lined up for the coming weeks. And Today we've got Matt Halson. Tell us about Matt, Gary. What have you, what's your research been doing with Matt? Uh, I think the big thing that stands out, mate, is his focus on family. I think that's pretty cool. I mean, I I'm, I'm, I'm know we've had um, a lot of guests in the past, obviously, when we ask them what makes them happiest and et cetera, it's always family. Everything's family oriented, but I mean, it's, if you go on his Instagram, this whole thing's about his family. Kids are on there everywhere. He's um, leader of his tribe, as he says there. He's there, the big man. Brothers. Hey, Matt. Yeah, well, the thing that stood out for me and Matt, I suppose, was the because I'm one of these as well as the daddy factor. You know, that came across. I feel like it's the Wanker, tosser. Uh, now, yeah, he's a daddy. And like, obviously, that encourages that into his work and seems like a really proud dad, which um, I can definitely relate to because one of the meetings that we were on on our trip over in the UK, we brought my son, Sue and I, to like a big legal firm that we were meeting over in London. And this was like a huge firm. And I just didn't, you know, I was blown away by how amazing they were. Like in the service when we arrived there, they had a card for Sonny and they made him like, or they gave him a little Paddington bear. Yeah, they had a, ca- a card, a card. A card, a card. Oh, right. You know, like uh, saying, you know, wishing you, you know, a yeah. big welcome to the UK. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And then when we got into the meeting, like one of the partners was there who was awesome. He actually was Australian. And he did say <laughs> straight off the bat, that I have to admit, I think this is probably the first meeting where I've had like a baby in it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh shit, I was just blowing it. Like, how oh, do we look so amateur? I mean, I'm sure they can relate. <clears throat> no, but it is, it, it like it's, I mean, the times have certainly changed. You wouldn't have done that five years ago, like, no way. But we were kind of like, it felt just normal because that's kind of us as a family. They kind of go, well, this is us, like, so. Yeah, and we're overseas, so we're just going to go with it, you know. Um, but it is it's interesting because one of my mentors, who's an Irish lady, Lorraine, if she's listening, hello, she's an amazing woman. And she took her baby to a meeting, just going back like a few years ago. And this story ended up going viral because she was like emailing this company or whatever it was. 
then she brought her her daughter, I think it was, to the meeting. And then after the meeting, there was an email exchange, like follow up, you know, oh, thanks for the meeting, da da da. And whoever was on the other side emailed her by mistake, and it should have been a, an email into someone in their internal team. And it said something like, can you believe she actually brought her daughter? Into oh, the meeting? no. Yeah. Yeah. And they sent it to her. And Lorraine is like very successful woman. Like, like she's, she's, she had the very first influencer marketing agency in Australia uh, called The Remarkable. She's written loads of books. Like she's a very strong uh, woman. So like talk about sending it to the wrong person. And oh. then, yeah. And then it ended up going kind of viral, the whole reaction. And like, you know, and this was only like two or three years ago where you're like, even back then, it was still like a taboo to kind of do something like that, you know. <laughs> that was all going through my head when I went in with Sony. I was like, "Oh God, what are we doing here?" Oh, um, disaster! That's a bad email to send. That talk about a like Freudian slip, but it can happen. It is definitely like you know everyone's probably done it right. You maybe not an email, but you've text you know your ex partner like or something like that when you think you're texting your best mate, you know. And you're like shit, shit, shit. And back in those days, there was no delete. Uh, unsend's a new thing. Isn't it? Unsend everything now. Brilliant. I mean, <laughs> whoever, whoever invented that via on WhatsApp, I'm sure that would have to go through a lot of hoops to get that done. And also with Google, yeah, Gmail, you've got 30 seconds to unsend it. That has uh, literally set, saved my life like a thousand times. So thank you, tech wizards who have done that. Uh, very much appreciated from your average like dork who is not too tech savvy. Mash, that was a, that was a long-winded intro to you. We, you said hello, and then we just rambled for a few minutes. But welcome to no, the show. Yeah, I was reveling in my painful introduction trying to get in here. <laughs> Everything wasn't working for me. Zoom was not. It just kept crashing on me. It turns out all my um my mic and headsets not working today for some reason. It's no, I, mean, I, mean, I was the same. I had the same issue. With my headphones. My headphones aren't connected to Zoom. I don't know why. I work on my MacBook, but then as soon as I connect to Zoom, it, it just shits itself. So it might have been the Optus hack. Do you see that that came out? Uh, and, uh, I seen that. Me, I. I think I get a new driver's license now. I'm like, I. Um, I mean, I seen a meme yesterday, and it was it was that old. Remember that thing, uh, the guy just waiting for a mate out in the that old oh, saying, yeah. But it was a guy. It was a police officer stopping him over, saying, "Can I have your driver's license, please, please?" And the meme was him saying, "Rather than just waiting for a mate, was I'm with Optus, mate. Just Google it." Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they also have them. Um, this is alarming because I rang them yesterday because they overcharged me on my bill. But the lovely lady did sort it out. They also had your passport details. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I was like, what? Luckily, for, she said on my profile, I didn't have my passport on it. But I'm thinking, geez, if you got your passport, that's like, your driver's license is fairly easy. Like, would you replace your passport? Like, I don't know. I say, the, the email I got says, don't worry, there's no financial details being um, released. However, they do have your passport, driver's <laughs> license, address. And I'm like, aye, yeah. no worries, <laughs> no money, but my full identity. Yeah. Oh, look. Like a password, I mean, I they always say use your own password, like there's a load of garbage. Like, I'm sure everybody listening that there has two or three passwords they, that they just merry go around on everything. That's what I do anyway. And I always get these like triggers going, like your password might be, um, you know, violated or something like that. But you're just like, I'll just go to the other one. Like, you know, you don't really like, I'm not going in changing everything. Like, and anytime I use my wife's laptop because, like, we you know, share something, hers is worse. Like, she gets like seven emails from Google going you need to ch change your password and all these things. But we never bother, like, you know, it's just like... And then you get hacked and you complain to Google saying, 
This is a joke. <laughs> we warned you seven times, mate. <laughs> right, Matt, sorry to keep you waiting there, mate. Just my number on your password. <laughs> I'll change it. I'll add, a, I'll add an exclamation mark at the end. Done, that'll trigger. <laughs> that'll trigger, mate. Brilliant. Um, so, Matt, how are you, mate? How's things? I'm good, brother. I'm good. I'm here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, pleasure, mate. Where yeah, Whereabouts I'm... in the world are you, Matt? Me, I'm uh, Victoria. So I'm just down in, uh, just outside of Geelong, down the other side of Melbourne. Nice. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, Premiers, uh, good, good weekend for you last week. It was a, it was a hectic weekend for everyone. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not the biggest footy fan, as sacrilege as that is to say in Australia. Um, but I always watched the grand final at least. And yeah, it was good. It was good for the town. You know, there's, it had been a few years since they'd won one. They'd been up there, but couldn't quite come to, come to close on it. But yeah, it was good. I know a few guys from work that ducked down to the city and they said there was it was borderline starting to look like the soccer riots and stuff. You know, there's flares going off. There was people causing all kinds of mayhem down there. So, yeah, it was enjoyable for most people. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I have a kind of... A, I lived in Melbourne for two years and I have an affinity towards, like, Melbourne generally. But Geelong, always, I just liked them. I think they're, they're, the Guernsey was, like, always cool. And then there was, like, that guy, Joel Selwood, is like, a great player. And then... What's the guy Hawkins? Is it like who's just like looks like an Adonis? He's got like the prep, Dude, yeah. prep boy golden locks, big huge musty guy. I was like, gosh, like wish it looked like him. Um, <laughs> but, but you, yeah, <laughs> um, but you guys, yeah, you beat Sydney as well. Uh, and Gary battled Sydney. Yeah, battled. Yeah. 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 It wasn't even it's a fight, battle. was it? Nah, cigar oh, really? It was, um, and it was over pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, people were saying after the first quarter, it was kind of like, you know, people already knew what the result was going to be. Next year, Buddy will be back. And what's that in the background? A bit of incense going there? Is that, I like that. Yeah, bro. Uh, my, my wife bought me that. It's like a burning fountain thing. Um, I just got a bit of sage going. It's just nice, man. I like it. It just keeps me a bit more chill. I tend to sometimes get into a bit of sensory overload with certain things. So having a bit of that just tones everything down i mean i've got a house with four kids so <laughs> there's uh, there's always loud noises there's always funky smells so it's like all right <laughs> present here. let's just get something that makes this atmosphere a little bit different to the rest of the house so it works well funky, man funky smells i love it i love it speaking of funky smells i don't know if you guys have watched the new dharma show on, on netflix no nah, no nah, i've got it i've got it my we watch last though i'm gonna watch it it looks good oh yeah we've well, been watching it what recommend it, like yeah. I was going to say, uh, brilliant. Obviously, it was real, so this did happen. So I was also uh, conscious that, like, it was horrific what happened. But funky smells, like, in like, you'll know what I mean when you watch yep. the show with funky smells. Yeah. Like, and he had a lot of funky smells, and he kind of got away with it for long, long periods. But it, it's very, it's like Netflix has done a good job of like telling the story. And I can't believe I actually did think this, but whilst what he did was crazy, part of you. Like you do feel sorry for him, like his upbringing, and there are like times where he actually tried to communicate his thoughts, and like, but it was all brushed off, and his family was a bit like torn up and stuff like that. So like, yeah, yeah. like obviously it was horrific what happened, but so you got Jeffy Domo sympathizer. Well, it's just more that <laughs> the more I'm reading and like researching into like nature versus nurture, like my belief is that yes, you have DNA and you have certain traits, but it's it's your environment that can actually steer you like just because you're born with a certain thing i think your environment can steer you away from that and um 
whenever you see, well, a lot of those serial killers or murderers and things like that, when you look in their past, there's like a fountain effect of things that have happened to them over, over life. And a lot of times they're not loved or, you know, something's happened to them and there's been trauma that's not resolved, which I'm sure, <clears throat> um, Matt, you've come across. Well, oh, mate, like get, get into the meat and bones of it, Matt. I mean, um, so probably a good place to start is just maybe who is Matt Halston? Yeah, good question. I'm a lot of things. These days I like to say I'm a man first. I'm a father, I'm a husband, and I'm a brother. So they're, they're the things that build me into the man that I am today. The history of how I got there is a long one, um, and I'm happy to dive into all that. I'm, I'm pretty open and transparent about most things. Um, but I've got pretty much the run-of-the-mill story lots of, people have, lots of people have had, especially lots of fathers have had. So um, I grew up down on the coast, so I was always Ballerine Peninsula-based. I was down in Ocean Grove, or used to be called Colandina, uh, the the poor Ocean Grove, which is now just Ocean Grove. So my parents had a hung onto that property. That'd be worth worth a fair bit now. Yeah, I we grew up around there, and my father was injured in a workplace accident when I was really young. So I carried a lot of trauma around in my adult life from that. So I carried a lot of pain, a lot of feelings of abandonment through my childhood. And my parents did the best they could. So he wasn't he wasn't killed, but he was he suffered an injury which was minor at the time, but then he had some surgery done at the hospital, which caused him to get an infection. Uh, he got, I believe it was golden staff inside of his knee. And this is back when they did knee surgeries, it was they'd cut and peel open everything, go on with tools, scrape everything out. So it's very, very intrusive compared to the modern day knee reconstructions, which is a lot of um, keyhole surgery. So he got sick from that. And then that sickness just compounded year after year after year. So for as long as I could remember, especially as a preteen, he was he had nurses coming around changing dressings on his leg all the time. He was always sick. If I came home with a sniffle, he'd be in bed for two weeks, that kind of thing. So my access to my dad was very limited growing up. And as a result of that, I spent a lot of time with my mum and my sisters doing a lot of the things that they wanted to do. So going to horse events and stuff like that, which I wasn't interested in. Um, so then my teenage years hit and I did what again a lot of guys do the same thing I just said you know what fuck it all I'm going to go and I'm going to create my own path I'm going to work it all out by myself because I've been doing it so far by myself so that's that's what I need to do so I was ultra independent for most of my youth the problem with that was when I was about 14 I started falling in with the wrong crowds I started hanging out with guys that were a lot older than me you know in their 20s um, lots of them are involved in, in driving, drink driving, drugs and alcohol abuse, um, all kinds of the nasty stuff. So when I was that crucial age, like 13, 14, 15, I was looking to these guys for leadership. So I took a lot of bad behaviors and bad ways of like looking at the world, bad ways of looking at myself and looking after myself from these older guys. So fast forward again. I start working on the blueprint that we all typically get given when we're kids, right? It's the, you, you study hard, you get good grades, you get a good job, you buy a house, you have a family, you pay the house down, that equals happiness. So I got a good job. I work in a local refinery down here making petrol. And then from there, it was, okay, well, what's next? Let's have a family. I, I sort of shuffled the order a little bit. And when my daughter was born, I my first daughter at, when I was 23, that was just like a slap in the face to me. It was just a, a very, very rude awakening of 
now I have this responsibility as a man, as a father, to raise this individual, to raise this human being in the best way that I can. And the way I was showing up in the world was not going to allow that to happen. It wasn't. I was very, very suppressive. Um, I didn't look after myself very well at all. My relationship was pretty average. Like, I, as in, my communication was very bad. The dynamic wasn't quite right. I was very much a workaholic, so I threw myself into work a lot. I was chasing overtime, chasing money, chasing a lot of satisfaction from living and working that way. That was the first moment where I realized, like, really realized that I hated who I was as a man. It was that that time when we had our first daughter? I was like, she's going to grow up and she's going to look at me as as her dad, and she's going to go, well, that's what I'm going to look for as in a man. That's what makes a good man because children tend to uh, love their parents that way, right? We, we grow up and we look at our parents to be, well, this is what a good person looks like. We don't tend to, at that young age, believe that our parents are bad people. You know, they're kind of superhero stuff. So I was like, well, there's only one way to change that. And that's that I've got to change myself. And this is back in 2014, thereabouts. And that was like the intro for me to start looking into personal development, self-development, um, personal growth, all those things. Now, in that process, I went looking for everything. I was looking and searching for information from wherever I, wherever I could get it. The unfortunate side to that is I had no one to guide me through that process. So this is where my old habits showed up again of like the kinds of guys I grew up around. And I kind of landed with messages that resonated with those messages that I got from those other people, like from those older boys. And needless to say, the, the relationship started to self-destruct. It started to implode. My patience at home started to get worse because I was playing this game of like, I'm the victim, which is where, you know, just to throw it out because you don't, you don't mind if I throw shots at other groups no i, no, I, I mean red, red, pill, red pill movement and like mg tau if you know what they are so men go their own way the red pills like all alpha male kind of shit i fell into that rabbit hole for a little while and that was what nearly took for my family to pieces like that's just nearly completely split us because i was sitting there going i'm the victim i'm being used i'm making the money and it's all getting spent and I did a lot of things, regret the, a lot of regretful things in that period um, as far as, you know, just lying about things. I was misleading with truth. I was hiding things like, you know, I started smoking again. I didn't, wasn't open and transparent about that. You know, I was just desperately searching for some piece of me. And ultimately, that's what it came down to was that I'd spent so much time giving to my family, giving to work, giving to everyone else that I possibly could, that I completely lost track of who I was as an individual who I was as a man and that's where I started to find more about the balance work so rather than just looking at these red pill alpha um hyper masculine dudes being like this is what it is to be a good man it's like well where's the balance with that it can't be just this there has to be more and so I started leaning more towards looking into the feminine side and that's where I found the author Trevor Bohm you guys haven't come across his name before look him up and he talks a lot about the primal and the divine as a as a balance right so that to me just started to that started to speak to me and started to shift me and I, I couldn't wrap my head around this fact that he was this dude sitting down he does yoga he does meditation he sits down he can hold space for people he can you know talk guys through episodes of crying and severe trauma 
but he's also been a professional fighter. He was also a personal bodyguard for rich people. He'd done all these crazy things. And I, I couldn't wrap my head around how this guy that was so primal or so masculine could also have this other side to him. And I knew there was something in that. So I started leaning into that work. And that's a whole new level of work for men is figuring out that balance of the self, figuring out the balance of the primal and the divine and seeing where they sit on that line. Because even today, there's a lot of still hyper-masculine. I think Andrew Tate, everyone's seen Andrew Tate on social media, hyper-masculine, right? The guy that just says what he wants, does what he wants and, and all the rest. And it's appealing to a lot of young dudes, but it's, it's supremely self-destructive to mental health. It's supremely self-destructive to relationships, to lots of different things. And then there's the divine, which is guys that are really, really hyper-spiritual in that hyper-spiritual space, which I don't begrudge anyone doing that. That's cool. But that was never kind of where I was could see myself ending up. And that's not to say I won't. I'm still growing. I'm still practicing. I'm still open and expanding myself. I could end up there. I'm just not there yet. But finding that balance of where do I walk this line and what does it look like? What's it going to affect? Completely changed my relationship dynamic. Completely changed it. Um, completely changed my family life. Completely changed my perspectives and outlooks on life. And to say that the growth through doing that kind of work that I've that I've done for the last sort of four years, the, the effects that's had on my mental health in particular is astronomical. It's borderline beyond belief for me. You mentioned uh, 2014. So what, what you're talking about now, what, what year is this in? And was there like an aha moment? Like It sounds like you were on a journey, but was there one specific thing where that really set you on this path? Probably not anything that really was like a super aha. It was kind of a gradual buildup for me. It was a uh, repeated messages over time. I kept hearing it. I Then I decided to buy a book. So I bought Traver's book and I read through that. And that was kind of the initial breeding ground for it. I bought his book. He talks about a lot of this stuff. He talks about the old paradigms of like the alpha male, the new new age guy, which is like the sensitive new age guy, the guy that's the people pleaser, the yes man in relationships. And he lays everything out super clear. To, and I really resonated with a lot of the wording, how it was written. It was pretty direct. It was free in its language, um, which I, I personally appreciate. I don't like really curtailing my language to be catering too much to super sensitive people. So I, I resonated a lot with the message. But that being said, I read that book. I listened to a bunch of podcasts that he was in. And I still sat on it for probably 12 months before I decided to join his men's group to get into that work, to try and actually figure out, okay, well, there's an next evolution. I can't just be reading about it. I need to learn how to do it. Then I took the leap into that. And that was arguably the second or third scariest thing that I've ever had to do was just lean into that because I knew it was going to be a completely foreign space to me. But once I got in there, I guess that's kind of where the first aha moment was, to be honest. Like I'd already taken the leap. I'd taken that step as scared as I was to do it. But once I got in there, I was like, right, I'm here. I'm going to give it three months just to see if it's, if it works for me, see if I get any value out of it. And if I, but if I'm going to be here, I need to show up fully. So I really need to lean into the work. I really need to like share and learn to share as much as I can with these completely 
foreign guys to me. You know, most of the guys that were in this group were over in the States. So I never met any of them face to face. Um, still haven't. So I was like, I'm just going to open up here. And this knowing that I've been told this is a completely safe container for me to share who I am, how I feel, what troubles and problems I've got and what breakthroughs and stuff that I'm looking for. So I let right into it and the reception of leaning into it was absolutely fucking phenomenal. I'd never experienced a container of guys that could just hold, hold you, support you and offer gentle guidance at the same time and point out all the things that you're doing. And, you know, people just feeding back like, Hey man, I can see that you're really struggling through this. Thank you for sharing. And I, I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that they're thanking me for sharing all of my shit, you know, to just online. I, I couldn't get my head around that. And then it was like, they did that. And I was like, oh, wow, that actually felt really relieving. And that was, I guess, like the first aha was, holy shit, if you share this stuff, it really does take a load off if you've got the right mechanism to sharing the right place to share the right environment to share so yeah i think that was to say to answer the question in a long-winded way that was probably the first aha was when i shared some really really deep stuff i'd never shared with anyone and it was received in a perfectly beautiful way and was that at that point more just a support group that you were reaching out to personally or was that actually the first step on you becoming like a coach in this space? That was at that point, that was my first step for my growth. So that was still very much me just doing this for me to work out all of my shit and to figure out what's that next evolution for me as a man. How do I improve my life that little bit more? So that was that, that was that next step. You mentioned sensitivity and the the kind of the changing landscape for let's say men in the world where there was the hyper masculine which would probably go on for thousands of years, you know, the alpha male, hunter-gatherer, all this kind of stuff. Now we're into that kind of men are being more comfortable with their sensitivity, probably going through an existential crisis because of all the things that were going on with hashtag me too and so forth. But where mm. do you think we are now? Like, if you think of the dial has kind of gone, it's been that way for thousands of years, now it's gone this way. Like, where do you think we are now? Because I've been reading a lot of stuff about in schools and even places like in America, they're saying, I think it was just been 300 million prescriptions written last year alone for antidepressants. And a lot of research is saying now that at least 50% of those prescriptions didn't need to be uh, prescribed. So now, although mental health is like a hot topic, which is good, do you think there's a bit of a danger here that we're kind of going almost too sensitive now? And people are like just jumping on the fact before they're actually going to seek proper help to find out what's going on. I'll probably answer that in like two sections. So the first part, I guess the question was, where are we kind of sitting now? Because we're talking like the old age was the hyper-masculine, the new age is like the sensitive, hypersensitive new new guys. I think it's it's a spectrum anywhere in between. I don't think there's like a position where any one category of people fit because it's, it's an entire world, right? And every culture has a slightly different outlook on all of these things. So I guess if you look at America and Australia on its own, I look around and everywhere I look, I see often two different types of guys. You still see the, the hyper-masculine and you still see the sensitive guys, the hypersensitive guys. You see some guys in between, 
but then to answer like the second part with the sort of more on the like depression side and yes that's we're still very much a depressed category you know as far as men are concerned we do make up a lot of suicides and so now you know let us say suicide it's um is it death by suicide now? You can't call it taking your own life, or so. There's a, there's too much of that, right? We know that, but I think the the true answer to it lies somewhere beneath the labels. It's beneath the labels of like you're hypermasculine. It's you're this. It's beneath the ego. It's beneath all of those things. It's beneath the people pleasing and all the rest. And I think for the most part, you could probably boil a lot of it down to isolation and lack of identity. So if you don't know who you are, you're forever going to be lost. And if you're isolated from other humans, then you are lost. So there's a lot to be said for community. There's a lot to be said for brotherhood, especially men being around other solid men. There's a lot to be said for that. And yeah, does it, do you think that we're kind of, is what's going on at the moment, let's say for men across the world, like we're paving a new path almost? Because like, you know, if you are in the sensitive bracket or that kind of side, Sometimes like if you don't, like there's still that connotation that, well, if you don't speak up or you're not strong in that scenario, that you're, you're, you're weak, you know, that kind of way. So, whereas, yeah, sometimes like to show that strength almost is like a badge of honor to go, yeah, well, I was strong there, you know, oh yeah, I was a real man there. And then that kind of fills you up. Whereas if you don't have that, then you kind of go, well, who, who, who am, where's the, the equator? Where's the line of like, you know, and that's where, like, I don't know the answer to this, like, and it's probably because I think we're trying to learn, relearn, well, learn this for the first time in thousands of years of, like, what it is to be a man, you know, kind of way. And I think balance keeps coming up, right, Gary, whenever we talk about this on the show, like, you need to have a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Maybe you need to be a bit of a strong arsehole sometimes when you need to be, but then also you need to be able to flick the switch and be sensitive and cuddly and when that's needed as well. And I think yeah. hopefully that's where men are headed. I mean, I also think... It everyone's got their own definition of what a man is. I mean, it's hard to blanket statement for every single the, person. That's, if you're, the if you're, part, that's the hard part. Like, I mean, the easy part with the old way, which is not the right way. It's like, you knew like if you were strong or you did this, you did that, I was a man. And it was almost, now it's like, well, I don't know what that is. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I, I think though, in terms of the way the, what you're trying to get at, I would say, it's just hard to, to provide a definition for someone who's got... There is, I can't think they can give a definition of what a man is other than saying he's got a dick. Other than that, like, <laughs> other than that, I mean, for instance, Matt, obviously he's all I'm about... Adam <laughs> all about family, being a brother, husband. I think that's admirable. For me, that definitely be along the path I'd like to go as well. To me, that to be a man, to be a good husband, to be a good father, to be a good friend, to be that's to me, to me, that's what being a man is. However, you could what about someone who doesn't who hasn't a dad, who hasn't got a partner, who is a, is a single child? They can't have those things. They can't be defined by those things. So to them, what is it? In terms of an emotional standpoint, again, then you're going back to what was a childhood upbringing like? Did they have trauma? Did they not have trauma? So emotionally, again, how can you you can't define someone by their past and what's happened to them? It's a hard, it is a hard one. Um, I think there's obviously principles, and I th- I noticed this, Matt, and your Instagram actually you had some principles. I like that. I've I've got some principles. We've been working on in the last like six or seven months myself, trying to find out what my own principles really are, and try to get rid of the noise a little bit to work out really what sticks true to me. Try to, maybe three or four I've sort of resonating with, but I've seen you had seven. Do I talk about them a little bit? Because I think they're pretty powerful. Yeah, sure, I can talk about that. Um just to sort of loop back before I do, I, I agree with the definition of 
what makes a man a good man, no one really gets to write the rules on that. There's lots of good men that are doing great things that are completely different to lots of other men. Mm -hmm. So to me, the answer to that is you need to figure out what a good man is to you. And that's sort of where my journey began was I don't care what anyone tells me a good man looks like. I don't want to hear what your opinion is or sorry, not your opinion. I'm open to hearing people's opinions, but I don't want to be told this is what it is because I don't believe that anyone should be crammed into a square box or a circle or anything. You know, it's everyone is very, very unique. You know, everyone is very unique. Everyone's got their own set of experiences, their own set of life traumas, their own sets of everything. So it's up to them to create that guide and that map for themselves. And that to me is where things like having your own set of values is a, is a super powerful tool, to, uh, tool to, to use because then that gives you your own lens to look at life through, right? So my seven, I'm going to put me on the spot now. I've got <laughs> family, family, integrity, love, knowledge, security, courage, and yours gonna oh, you're doing so well, mate. You were smashing it there. <laughs> yeah, I got six. I got six. Well, let, me, I'll, 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 let me jump in while you try and find a seven one. But I, what if I could challenge all that and say, what does our gender have anything to do with those things? So if you say, you know, courage and all those, which are fantastic, it'd be the same for a woman or of same course for it could be that, 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 gender the, person. Or I know, but know, no one's like, the, not, the discussion is not about gender. We're not discussing gender. We're discussing. The conversation no, is mean, what a man is. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Yeah, what is a man like? You know, uh, how do we... for, for me again, I think that's a different massive can of worms. It's topical at the moment. To me, mm. a man is anatomically. My background's in physiology, physiology and anatomy. A man to me is a guy with a penis. That's a guy. But that's, that's what I mean. Does it stop? Does it stop there? Like you know, I know it doesn't feel like it feels like more. We're like, oh, but I've got to be a dad. I got to look after my son and my daughter, which is all makes sense. But when you actually drill that down, like it doesn't matter what your gender is to do those things. So is it more like our anatomy is really just the crux of what defines us as a man versus a woman versus anything, and our behaviors are gender genderless. You know, the kind of way like to be nice to, a, to an infant or a child. That doesn't have anything to do with your gender. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. I, I don't know, mate. I, I think we might be teetering on an area that we don't know enough about in terms of there is definitely mm. motherly traits that females just have and they go into job sectors. Mm. Like if you put it all black and white and went through the whole equality route as well, women naturally gravitate to some of these roles where they are more nurturing, more caring roles. Men do tend to go towards jobs where they're using their hands a lot more. And that's not a gender thing. Guys, some guys, a lot of guys, just by leaving everyone to their own devices, just gravitate towards that. That's something I don't know. There's probably a better explanation than I've just given, but it's, it happens. It's a fact. That's not... Well, I'm, I'm going to give one more rhetorical question than anyway, because you're right. I think we <laughs> this is a whole new topic, but... I would challenge that even again, going back to the other episode we had in season one with Cecilia, who said, well, I agree with you, all those things. I feel women have, are, are, they take their time with things, better thinkers, more nurturing, which is all amazing traits. But again, is that just a, is that just a trait that has been built into the female um, embodiments over thousands and thousands and thousands of years of, you know, environments, you know what I mean? Like if, 
if all those things were changed, going back to you know sixty thousand years ago, it could be men that would who had all these love those those traits, and then women have the opposite. You know, we don't really know. I don't um, know if it, I, I, I think we don't know, but I think there is answers. Yeah. I just don't think I know. I don't know. I can't give an educated <laughs> answer back to you, mate. Might not, I don't know I don't think gonna, Yeah, I don't think we're going to solve it. On these lads are mental. There'd be some news story going. Just see those lads on that podcast. They just <laughs> solved what it is to be like. Um, but now, like, I think like it's it's more just like to put that question out there for anyone that's listening. Just have a think about that and just challenge that a little bit because was it seems obvious that like a man can be a man and a woman can be a woman. But, like, is that more just because we trained ourselves to be that way over thousands of years? I mean, I have been on a massive hole that <laughs> we well, cannot answer, man. It's a good segue. It's a good segue because. Uh, Going into our first official question, but uh, just talking about family and obviously Matt, it seems like it was one chord that struck at me being a dad myself that that comes across in all your work and you're you seem like a real proud dad. You've got four kids, and um, and you've spoken about your dad already. I'm not sure if he's still with us, but you know where did that principle spark from? Childhood, your relationship with your dad, or maybe the relationship you didn't have with your dad. Like, what's made you the dad that you are today? I mean, obviously. It wasn't through his own fault that things sort of landed. Oh, things landed the way that they did. Um, but I th think what most parents would normally strive to do, in my belief, is that they take their experiences as a child and then they try to improve on those. So my dad wasn't a particularly affectionate father, as in physical affection. Now, he had his reasons for that, um, which I have spoken to him about. And I've spoken to him about the fact that, well, that affected me and that, that, that affected me and how I show up with my kids because I never received that physical affection from my dad. So then when I became a father, I was awkward and uncomfortable with it because I kind of didn't really have permission to do it. And I kind of was like, well, I don't know what's really appropriate. You know, and it, it just seems like such a silly thing, but it's like, well, I don't actually know because I never experienced enough of it but then that sort of blew out in my mind to the much bigger picture of like okay well this is coming from my childhood and my upbringing so what else is coming out from my childhood and my upbringing and what things can I take that I appreciate and apply and what things do I need to take and go well this is what I really needed when I was that age and then how do I provide that to my kids and you know love and compassion and understanding and all these things don't necessarily come that natural to men um, especially when we didn't receive enough of it as children so it sort of became my mission to be like okay well how do i get comfortable myself to to do this and share this with my kids and that was sort of a, a massive part of this work and a massive part of this process is what from my childhood affects me now still and like most people, it's a long list of things, then it kind of, you'll deal with one thing at a time and then something else pops up and it kind of just continues to evolve and change and you find new triggers and you find new traumas and it continues from there. But I mean, it is exciting. We spoke about it before, how the next generation of dads, that gap has to be shortening. You mentioned earlier on, you still have those masculine old school kind of type dads, but surely that gap was shortening. And for the world, the planet into the next generation, like our kids, our sons were raising them to be better men. So it's actually, we won't see the fruits of that for probably another 20, 30 years, but 
you think it is there is an exciting future about like what the future man might be i think there's there's an exciting potential for it is probably the best way for me to put it i think as as much as there's a lot of good people like you um like gary like a lot of other podcasts and stuff out there sharing and spreading the good messages there's there's a lot of people that aren't looking for it that aren't super aware of it and i think a lot of that comes from how we're fed information right we we always absorb the information the best when we're out looking for it so i find that when we do mental health things especially in the workplace it's like well it's great that you're doing it on face value but how much are people actually taking away from it and i think that a lot of it can sort of get spun as like corporate jargon or corporate like we have to do this so we're going to do it and i completely disagree with all of that it needs to be much more of like a one-on-one it needs to be personalized but that being said you also need to just uh, spread the information and share the information because without the information and you don't know what you don't know you may not even start looking right so uh, there's a balance there i guess that there's a potential for a lot to come out of the wash in the future especially for our sons but a lot of it depends on how many fathers are prepared to step up to the plate and accept more responsibility for the roles that they play in the family and the dealing with their trauma, the dealing with their pain, the dealing with their emotions and learning them for themselves how to better communicate all of those things. Because I think that's one of the big barriers that men have is we don't know how to communicate how we feel. And when we can't do that, our partners end up feeling alone and isolated in our relationship and because they don't feel seen or heard. Because they'll share emotions with us, we don't share back, but all we do is we turn up and try to fix. We try and fix the emotions. But that doesn't pay off because that's not necessarily what they're after. So I think more and more dads that are actively choosing to look at all those things and look at how they can better improve themselves as men, those kids, the kids of those men are the ones that are going to reap the benefits. And their, you know, their nieces and nephews, their grandkids and you know, their friends, the the children of their friends are going to start to benefit from a lot of that. So it's kind of like the more of those men there is, the more that get, that better message, that better parenting model is going to spread everywhere. Obviously, you're a you're a men's coach, you're a men's empowerment coach. Um, if that hasn't already been made clear, what would advice would you give to or tips or coaching advice to dads, new dads, dads to be, or even experienced ones who are maybe older and are looking to find something transformative for them? I think for, for a lot of guys, the first step is to identify what is the most important to you. Like what is truly the most important things to you? And that's where the personal values comes into things a lot and checking priorities comes into things a lot because we're, we're sort of creatures of habit, right? We find, we, we build structure, we build routines typically, regardless of whether those routines are good or bad, you know, we tend to wake up at the same time. We will, you know, if you drink coffee, you'll make a coffee and then you'll run out the door to work. And that'll be like your morning routine. Not necessarily a good one, but it's a routine nonetheless. So checking how we build those routines into our life, like not saying no to overtime can be a problem for, for, for first-time fathers, right? You've got this kid, you've got this new little baby and you're still going to be stuck potentially in that working mindset. of Like, all right, I've got my two weeks off. And then I go back to work. And then when I go back to work, I go back to work the same as what I was before we had the baby. And then I've got, you kind of can end up with this separation of family and work. And the, the best thing you can do is find a way to merge those two things together, which is not easy. 
So then establishing a core value system for yourself where you can look at that. Like for me, family's number one and it always was, but it wasn't always, if that makes sense. So family's always been the most important thing to me, but I wasn't putting it in that number one place. I was still putting work ahead of that. And it's not always going to be number one. Like sometimes my integrity is going to take over or my desire for knowledge will be bumped up a little bit above my family um, because my growth as a man is very important as well. Sometimes there's a bit of a trade-off there, but not even realizing that family was a priority for me in that context of like, this is out of all these things that my life could be the most important things to me. That's, that's right up there as number one. So if, if I'm going to work and I'm doing all this overtime and I'm not being there for my family, I'm talking like being present with them, then what am I actually achieving? What, what am I actually serving? Am I serving a business? Am I serving my own ego? Am I serving you know, the expectations of other people over the expectations of my family? And I know I was guilty of that for a very long time. You know, I put the needs of a business and the needs of looking like I was a high achiever ahead of servicing the needs of my own family. And that cost me a lot. So not to blanket term it and say that every man that's a new father needs to put his family first. It's like, no, you need to work out what the most important things are to you. Then you need to prioritize how you employ those things into your life. Because if you're like me, I couldn't come to this point of like my family's number one. I need to be hyper present with them because I'd spent so much time ignoring myself and what I need. So I had to work that out first. I had to fill my cup so then I could go and fill the cups of my family. And then it becomes this, this game of like, all right, top up, recharge, top up, recharge. And then you start to level all that out. And then that's when your family dynamic really starts to shift. So yeah, for me, knowing the things that you stand for and, and then being able to prioritize those things and change them as you need to, to suit the varying things that happen in life, they're probably the best things you can do as a, as a new father. I remember seeing a pretty much piggybacking off what you just said. I remember seeing it was a diagram. I think it was by James Clear. And it was four pretty much hobs, like burners on an, like an oven stove top. And it was, it was only four topics. So let's just say family, life, business, and then social. And it had them all basically saying like, you can't have them all on at the one time. It doesn't mean one's more important than the other, but you have to maybe sometime the family's turned up at full, maybe that's when you, the birth of your child and the other ones have to be turned down. But then once you're settled and you need to start providing for your family or whoever it is, the male or the female doing that, then you need, may have to turn the family down a little bit to get the, the, the business one turned back up again. And that's always resonated with me. I thought that's pretty much the mm -hmm. easiest way of looking at it. It's impo it is impossible to give yourself to all those things. Like you said, sometimes you're chasing a little bit more knowledge to improve yourself which then, of course, then allows you to be a better husband, father, man, whatever it may be. Um, yeah. And that pretty much distills what you've just said there. I think that's, I think that's brilliant. The good, that's the good thing about what you've been saying there as well, on top of all that, is that it is quite straightforward. You know, often yeah. when we try and tackle mental health things, they, they're always like, oh, God, I know I could do that. But, oh, just the effort, and you put it in the too hard basket. Um, but it also kind of reminded me of, like, like I was getting kind of journaling kind of like, you know, if you write something down, like anything in life, if you actually stop and just write down some goals and objectives or where you want to be, it's, it, it just helps you to no, no ends, even though you might not look back at them again. But when you actually put something down on paper, you almost hold yourself more accountable and responsible. And as you were saying, 
if you're if you can at least do that in a very simplistic form that they are the core things you want in your life then at least physically emotionally mentally you are putting it on the table so to speak and then you can actually you know tweak it and move it around as you say and even thinking of those principles that you say now that you are dad and you've got four kids what are the type of principles now that you try and instill in them you know you've spoken about your past you've spoken about your own journey are there any principles in specific that are new maybe that you're like I want my kids to have this, this, and this. No, not exactly. Um, so they're my values. And what we did as a family, once I found what my values were, these are the things that are the most important to me. We then took that into the family. Or I took that knowledge into the family and I went through the exact same list with my wife and we found out what her values were. Then we did the same thing with the kids and we found out what, those things, the things are that they value the most. And then we made a family list. So we took what are the important things for everyone? And then we go, okay, where are all the common threads here? So we kind of did like a voting system, right? And everyone got a vote, everyone gets an equal say. And then when we, we go, okay, we've got these 10 things, that's probably a little too many to remember, especially with the young kids. So let's trim it down to five. Let's put that up on the wall and then let's figure out which of those 10 are the ones that we all agree on. And then have a conversation around, okay, well, can we, we've got family and love on there. Do we need them to be separate? Or can we say that family is love? Or can we say that love is family? And then which word resonates with most of us, uh, with all of us the most? And then you figure all that out. And then all of a sudden we had this family value system. So now the kids are growing up with this value system that they're a part of, that they've helped create. But it sits outside of their own independent values. So, and values can change, especially from, from a youth up until an adult, your values are going to change with time because you're going to be more capable of dealing with things yourself. And you obviously, if you're tied to a family value system, you might start to change some of those things, being like, oh, I'm super comfortable with this, that I don't, I don't see it as that important anymore. Like family, my family is super important, but now that I'm an adult and I'm going out in the world on my own, then knowledge is more important than family at the moment so i might drop one off but to me it's like i'm i'm not going to instill values into my kids that aren't theirs yep so i'm going to teach them how i believe people should show up in the world like speaking the truth being honest like love of learning you know all those things like doing what you say you're going to do all those things are important but that doesn't mean that they have to be their top values when they're older and the things that they cherish the most because I don't want my kids to be me. I want my kids to be uniquely themselves in the best way that they can be. And that's my job as a father is to allow them to grow up and be exactly who they want to be, not who I think they should be. Mm. That's lovely because in the old days, you know, it was like if the dad was a soccer player and the son was a soccer player, you know, you didn't almost have a choice or beauty pageants in America, you know, they push their kids to do crazy things just to fill a gap that maybe the parent was never able to achieve themselves. And it does set up a really nice and interesting dynamic with parents of today's era around, because I've heard this thing of like saying no is not necessarily a great thing to do as a parent, but it's more to educate your kids of like, you, if you do that, here's what can happen. And then putting the choice back on them to make the decision mm -hmm. themselves rather than just saying, no, you can't do that. You know, 
does that kind of thinking come into what you do? It sounds like it does with your principles that you're kind of empowering them to create their own path. Yeah, it definitely comes into like the language we use with our kids is is important. That being said, I don't mind using the word no. Yep. Because there's not to say I'm preparing them for life as such, but if there's something that I do not want to do, then I should be comfortable saying no. So if they ask me, hey, can we do this? No, I'm not comfortable with that. It's a no. So I'm okay with that. So it's not always, I find that some people that refuse to use the word no can lean a little too hard on like people pleasing tendencies. Like, oh, I don't want to say no because I don't want to upset someone or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, people need to grow up to a point where they realize that it's, you can't, you're not in control of other people's emotions. So saying no and they get upset by that, that's not a you problem. That's a them problem. Yep. with them not being able to handle the rejection. So again, not to say that I'm like saying no to my kids to prepare them for people to reject them, but it's certainly a piece of language that's used frequently through life. So they're going to they're gonna get used to it one way or another. Now, I don't, and I'd rather say no instead of saying, oh, we'll see, or maybe. Yes, yeah. yeah. Putting, that, putting it on the long finger, I think it's just dismissive. It just doesn't help anybody in this scenario, but it does... It definitely, you know, speaking from experience, it does get hard sometimes when they're crying and you're like, fuck, I don't want to, want to put on the TV, but fuck, it'll make it so much easier. I can, you know, have a cup of tea. <laughs> like, you do, you're, you're in this constant battle of like, I know I should do this, but there's the easy way out, you know. But is that okay as well? Do you think, Matt, that sometimes it's okay if you just need to like be a little bit, not lazy, but, you know, be human, I suppose. That's the key point. It's be human. What makes sense yeah. to you, right? And what makes sense to you may look completely different to what makes sense to me. So I I don't like the rules that society throws on the parents to be like, shouldn't let your kids watch more than an hour of TV a day and all this stuff is all that we do then as parents. And I know this is true definitely for my wife that she will take all that information on board and it almost becomes personal to the point where she's like, I can't let them watch any more TV because they've watched an hour, but I really need a break. You know, and she's she has her own mental health problems. I've got my own mental health problems. Everyone's got mental health problems to an extent. It's like, well, you're fucking human. Do what makes sense to you. If you need a day just to chill on the bed, feed the kids, and just let them watch TV, I say do it. If that's what you need to recharge yourself a little bit and to get through, because parenting's hard. It's not easy. Anyone who sort of says, oh, it's super easy, probably has a really, really, really good support network and may have nannies and they've got a lot of money and all these things, but parenting is not easy. It's not. And there's all these rules that society gives us that, you know, you can't yell at your kids, you can't do this, you can't smack them, you've got to spend X amount of time with them, they can't have more than this much screen time and all the rest. It's just like, there's so many rules. There's just so many rules about it. And it's like, what are the actual rules? And who created them? You're growing up like I'm, I'm sure you can both relate. Growing up, I had the best childhood ever. Like to me personally, there was it was far looser in terms of how you grew up. Mum and dad did the best they could, done a brilliant job, but there was no none of this. They can't. I watched TV all the time. I was out playing, come back out, come back home, and the streetlights come on. I mean, it was like now yeah. you're not allowed. To, where are you going? Across the road? Nah, you're not going across the road. Too dangerous. Who knows what will happen between leaving this front door and that front door across the road? It's chaotic. Yeah. Like, the rules have got so strict to the mm. point where people are, are frightened to do anything, parents and kids. So then, as Matt was saying, like, 
who who the fuck is making those rules? Like, you know, where, where's the old people mate? with no kids, yeah. mate? People with no kids. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm like, <laughs> becoming a parent, I found a new like even increased more love for like single parents. You know, because it, could, it does come down to some of the most basic things in your day. Where is if like if I need to go to the toilet, have a shower, you know, my wife just keeps the eye on Sunny for a while. But you know, so I always got started thinking about God, I'm like, like absolute shout out to single parents who do all this a lot of the times just on their own. Like it's just phenomenal the endurance that people show to and the sacrifice that people go through to put their kids first. Like it is phenomenal that you know what people do out there. So, but then that also opens up a, a probably another thing of like you do need to look after yourself. As you're saying, Matt, like sometimes you need those days and. And that can be hard, you know, because you're so entrenched in your children that, you know, you don't put your own needs first and then you're not getting sleep, you're not exercising, maybe you're not eating well, then that sets you on, a, you know, your own little thing. And have you found like with the clients that you work with, Matt, does that kind of thing crop up a lot where they lose a bit of their own identity and then they kind of fall into bad habits? Like, does that tend to happen a lot? It, it happens, right? And bad habits can form and look different to lots of different people. Like some guys will turn to, to alcohol and drugs at like the more extreme end. Some guys turn to porn. Some guys turn to video games, Netflix, TV, sports, you name it. Like there's lots of ways that we can try and numb out the world and try and justify it as a, as a need or justify it as like me time. Um, but it's not necessarily. So I don't personally, I don't class any me time as a situation where I'm away from my family to my family's detriment. So if I'm leaving and then coming back and I haven't provided enough of a, enough love and support to them before I left, I'm going to come back to a shit fight. Then it's no longer me time because I'm going and taking this time for myself. I'm calming. I'm more rejuvenated. I'm more refreshed. Then I'm going to come back to the house and it's going to be chaos. Well, that emotion that I, I'm bringing back to the home is going to dissipate really quickly because all of a sudden I'm running around trying to put out spot fires. So for me, me time is, it's, it starts, at, for me personally, it has to start with the family first. I need to give to them so that I can go and have my me time, knowing that when I come back, everyone's at a much lower level, right? Everyone's energy is down that little bit more. So then I come back and it's like, oh, this is nice. This is cool. I came, I went and did some stuff for myself. I feel better. I come home. Everyone's pretty good. Even if they're a little bit ratty, it's like, okay, cool. I can, I'm in a space where I can take care of what needs to be taken care of. I can give you the time and the attention you need without feeling overloaded or feeling overwhelmed or anything like that. And to, to circle back to Gary's reference to the, the stovetop analogy, where you've got the four different pots and they're all boiling away and you know, you're going to turn them up, you're going to turn them down. Like, that's our sort of day-to-day -day life, right? That's our week on, week off. Like during the week, we turn up the work one and we turn the family one down. The weekend rolls around, we turn the work one off and we turn the, the family one back up. It's like, well, it's, it's all water that's boiling, right? Yeah. But what happens when that water boils? It evaporates out. That water is our energy. So how, how do we replenish the water in those pots? We need to go and fill up a jug. We need to go and pour it in there. Well, that jug of water is our emotional energy. That's our needs. That's where if we don't fill that up and we're in there trying to fill up all these pots and trying to keep everyone happy, we can't do it because there's nothing left. So that me time and that having something that is for you that you can do relatively frequently um, 
is important. It's super important because or else we just end up empty. We give, 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 give. And then we just go, well, I don't even know. I can't give anymore. I've given everything I can. And I'm still failing because everyone's still chaotic. Everyone's still anxious. Everyone's still demanding things and I've got nothing more to give. So that means that I'm failing in some way. It's like, you're not bro. You just need to work out what it is that's important to you. And you need to find a way to lift yourself back up and just again, circle back to brotherhood. Like having a really, really solid group of men in your corner is so important for that because that can really pick you up when you feel like shit. I think that's a good point. I agree with that. I've been involved in sports or football my whole life and I've always had a big group of mates or a big, big, group, a big social circle of mates. And nowadays, sometimes I guess, I wouldn't say frowned upon, but people say a big group of lads and then a whole toxic masculinity conversation comes up, et cetera, et cetera. But without those groups of mates I've had, like that is my escape a lot of times. They're the ones who understand me in certain circumstances. They go through similar things to me. They keep me strong. They keep me like change my emotional state a lot. I could have a terrible day at work and then I've got football go at night and I'm like, come home stress-free laughing because they can resonate with me and we just get rid of it together. It's, that's so important if you've not got. Because with guys, yeah, you need to have that, you know, the stupid shitty chat you have over a beer. Like there's just like, there's just a certain level of a chat that you have with a bloke that you, like is separate to when you have it with somebody else. And as you were saying, yeah, Gary, that does let off steam, so to speak. I and mean, if you do that, then you come back into your environment, as you were saying, Matt, like a better person. So you, like having that space is actually good for the dynamic because the danger that you were saying, if you're not doing those things that you mentioned, resentment starts to build. And the resentment is really one of the worst things you can get within a relationship. And um, like I certainly hold a lot of resentment. And the trouble with resentment is you don't know sometimes where it's coming from, but then it bottles up and then it comes out and forms its ugly head and your relationship. And different ways and then you know even though you're still on the same team like uh, it's just like yeah resentment is is an awful thing well actually i like the tip that you said that like leaving the somewhere on in a solid foundation is good i haven't thought about that before but it's like if you put into the bank like then you can get some change back out because if you do go like if you go and do a fitness class and you just go on a whim and then you come back and then like your wife or partner is like been with the kid for an hour or two and then they're shitty and then they get snappy with you and then you get angry like, I'm only trying to have my space and then it starts this weird vortex like you know <laughs> and, and then you get through all that and then all of a sudden you go see if you wake up and then you got to do it all over again <laughs> yeah yeah so there's definitely a balance there's a balance within that as well right and I know for me personally I was in a position where I I had nothing left to give when I first was like, I need to do something that's for me. So I was like, I'm going to go on a camping trip by myself on my own. I don't want anyone else near me. No one at all. I don't need any demands from anyone else. I just need quiet solitude somewhere where I can just get my thoughts sorted, be out in nature, ground myself a little bit and just drive some places, go and see some shit I haven't seen before. That's just for me. And I can just go wherever the fuck I want. I can drive down a road and I can go, I'm just going to go down there for a look and see what's down there. You know, so when I went to do that, I I couldn't fill the cups anymore because I had nothing left to give. So, and this is just to sort of help the guys out there that might be thinking like, I can't make that nice thing because everything's so chaotic and everything's feeling real shit and everyone's like, there's a lot of resentment and all this stuff. It's like, well, that's where you're going to have a hard conversation about the fact that you're going anyway because you need the time. But what you need to do is when you, when you leave, you need to help out as much as you can before you go, as hard as that might be. Maybe make some, like, this is if you're doing what I did and going on a camping trip, 
make some food and put it in the freezer. Then your wife doesn't have to deal with the cooking, right? Tidy up a little bit the day before so that she doesn't have to do so much cleaning. Like make her life a little bit easier before you go. Then you can go, you calm, you ground yourself, you chill out, you get some of that energy out. And then when you, when you do return home, you would best make sure that your energy is better. You need to make sure your energy is better when you get home. And it needs to be like, she can be yelling and screaming and carrying on. And you need to do your best to hold space for all that energy and all that emotion because you've done something that you potentially haven't done much of before. And she might be a bit wild. She might be a bit challenging. And you need to go, okay, well, I'm just going to hold the space. Yeah, I understand. I feel much better. I'm here. I'm calm. What can I do to help you? What do you need? And then start to work out what she needs. Maybe she needs to go for a break. She needs to go for the rest of the day and go and do whatever she needs. Needs a massage or a facial. Or she wants to go for a nature walk herself or do something. Go and hang out with her girlfriends. Then when you get home, you go, okay, cool. I'll, I'll take the kids. You go do that. And I'll deal with the rest of the family stuff. I'll cook dinner. I'll get everything sorted. And that's where the trust can start to build because you're showing up in a better space, a better way than you were before you left. And then that... To, to do that consistently then builds trust. And then when the trust comes, that's when they start to really understand that, oh, when he goes, he's actually going to come back better. Oh, he's, he's getting a bit feral at the moment. It's like the point now, my wife will ask me if I'm getting a bit uh, overwhelmed or I'm getting a bit snappy or anything like that. She'll be like, oh, do you need to go and do something? And I'm like, <laughs> you know what? Right. I do need to so yeah. make that happen. So it's gone from me asking and her getting really upset and tight because it was going to make her life so much harder when I was gone to her suggesting that I go. So there's absolutely power in taking that time, but the, the real power is how you show up when you come back. That's good. That, yeah, that's great. I think, like, yeah, the deposits into the bank is kind of what you're saying there. I think if you get to the point where your partner can see that, read it and suggest you to go back into that space, like that's, in my mind, a really good sign that you're working like as a team and that's something that mm. i know sue says to me a lot like, we need to work at this as a team it's not just you anymore like it's you've got other people to think of which is a, a nice way to kind of bring the episode to a close but before we finish we do have a, co- a couple of quick fire questions that we do ask everybody on the episodes so we do have an imaginary 60 second clock which i don't think after 24 episodes we've ever stayed under 30 seconds but <laughs> there's no pressure uh to hit the deadline but question one is when are you at your happiest i'm at my happiest when my cup's full and everyone around me is calm nice what's your current mental health at out of 10 i'm gonna say seven or an eight okay that's good and where do you think the world is out of 10 for mental health awareness when you say awareness, do you mean understanding mental health or do you mean just hearing the message that mental health is an issue? I would say understanding, yeah. Like where do you think the, like, the awareness and the fact of like why, where are we in that understanding and knowledge point? I'd say five. Okay. And a quick sub-question. Where do you, comparative to Australia, do you think Australia is better off or worse off than five? I'd probably say worse off. Okay, interesting. Maybe not too and, far, but I would I would lean towards worse off. Yeah. Okay. And then finally, if you had to give people one thing to do every day that you think would improve their mental health, what would that be? I'm gonna say two things. I'm gonna say meditate and journal. Okay. 
meditating what sorry journal journal yeah you just do one like that's two things but if you could do those two things every day just sit in the calm sit and obtain some clarity and then get some thoughts out of your head on the paper you'd be amazed at how much that lightens the load Mm -hmm. Well, we had a, a few episodes ago, we had meditation. We had a Andrew Marsh on it. So if anyone wants to dive more into that, that wasn't scripted, by the way. That was just uh, <laughs> off the cuff from that. Uh, have a listen. And just maybe just to prod a little bit on this, so the Australia bit of like maybe lower than five. Why Why do you think that is? Like, you know, if you were to give us like a 30-second wrap of where you think Australia is, like what's your opinion on that? So I'm going to say there's a, it's a complicated topic, but... I'm going to say there's a there's a lot of migration. We're very multicultural, and there's still a lot of bitterness and resentment around Australia towards different ethnic groups. Um, there's a big there seems to be a big push towards multi-income families, so where the wife has to work, the husband has to work, um, and that kind of separates the family units a fair bit. So that's that's a contributing factor, and just the you know, we're not quite as industrious as we, as we used to be, but we're very office-based. There's lots of niggling. I don't think that, you know, bullying's managed very well in schools and I don't think it's managed very well in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Absolutely, yeah. Totally, totally agree with that. Bullying is a whole other topic, but don't get me started on that from personal experience as a kid, but even in the workplace, which it's a, it's a really nasty thing. And yeah, I think we could be doing a lot more as a society with that but uh, so Matt, where can people find more about you obviously if there's any guys listening who want to get involved in the men's empowerment coaching how do they get in touch with you uh so the best way for me is on instagram um it's a long instagram handle but it's at father of the tribe au with underscores between each word so that's where i'm, I'm mostly hanging out over there post Perfect. a lot of content videos and do lives and stuff and have i have similar chats to this with um some guys that i know you know, once every couple of weeks. So, yeah, we'll 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 make sure that we tag and and put your handle up on our uh, the when the podcast goes live, so people can uh, check it out and follow you. And it's yeah. definitely worth worth the look because uh, yeah, in our in our research, there's lots of really great messaging that you're putting out there, even just you personally and and some of the affirmations and messages that you put out there. So it's definitely worth checking out, for everybody. But yeah, thank you very much for joining us. Well, thanks for your yeah. time, mate. Top man. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Good. Great to have you yeah. on, mate. Share the podcast when it goes live. Beautiful. That sounds good. Okay. Top yeah, man, cheers. mate. Nice to meet you. Have a yeah, good day. Thanks. Enjoy your weekend. Yeah, you too, yeah, enjoy the, well, enjoy with the family. Cheers, man. Take care. Oh, Bye. Catch thanks, you. Bye. Bye. Don't forget to follow us on all the social media channels, including Instagram and Twitter, at These Lands Are Mental. And if you do have a topic or a guest or subject that you want us to talk about, please do get in touch and send in your suggestions. Thanks for joining us on today's show. As mentioned at the beginning, if you are struggling with mental health, please do seek further assistance. Here's who you can get support from. Lifeline, Beyond Blue, Fitzhere, and the Black Dog Institute.